in the Pine Barrens, Manorville, New York. It was 2003. A woman is walking her dog right over there. And what does she come upon? The torso of Jessica Taylor. Her head, her arms are missing. The only identifiable marker on her, a tattoo that's been scraped off. When she's last seen in the summer of 2003, Jessica Taylor is 20 years old and working the streets of Manhattan. How you doing? are discovered 40 miles west at Gilgo Beach, Long Island. She's the fifth of 10 sets of human remains found along one stretch of road. She becomes part of the biggest murder investigation in Long Island history. The Long Island Serial Killer. welcome back we are finally finally on a schedule and we have a direct line of sight to where we want to go we've kind of branched off a little bit doing some other topics but we have to come back to our first true love and that is telling the stories of true crime victims we want to try to add our own little special touch and I've just decided just we're just going to be ourselves. We're going to tell the stories that we enjoy to tell. We want to tell them with respect, uh, give the victims and their families the dignity and the honor that they deserve and see if we can't talk about some of these, these uh, crimes, these stories, these cases uh, and uh, learn a little bit as we go. Uh, I want to say first off, thank you for listening. Please subscribe. Please find us on Instagram, Duh Weekly Podcast. You can find us on Twitter, Duh Weekly Podcast, or TikTok, Duh Weekly Podcast. We have a little Cash App link in our uh, Instagram and our Twitter. If you feel like you want to help sponsor and give to the show, we would greatly appreciate it. Any kind of donation would go toward continuing the podcast, hopefully getting bigger, hopefully getting better, and I would greatly appreciate any ratings, reviews, any type of, of, of donation, uh, $1, $5, whatever you can afford, we would greatly, greatly appreciate it, and we... Uh, 
we are just trying to uh, trying to make something happen and get something off the ground. Um, but yeah, that's what we're going to do. And uh, today, uh, I mean, we've covered Long Island serial killer before, Lisk, the Craigslist killer. Um, and, you know, we went into detail as far as some of the body, you know, the original, the torsos and some of the other uh, uh, bodies and victims that were found uh, early in the 90s and then and then later on. But right now, on, in this episode, I want to focus on the four victims that were, were wrapped in burlap, that were all disposed of right near and next to one another. And I want to talk about that just a little bit. Now, you'll hear papers, because like I said, I'm old school. I'm old school. I have paper, I have notes, I write stuff down. And uh, that's just how I like to do it. So I apologize for that. What I want to do is basically, I just want to look at a, at, at a couple of questions. I got a couple of questions. I want to look at it from a different perspective. What, what do we know? What do we know about these victims? What do we know about the killer? What can we, what questions can we ask that will help us to draw a conclusion as to who this killer may be? And I'm going to say him, man, whatever, because I believe it is a man. It is a man because it has been proven through phone calls uh, with the victims before they met him and even a phone call that was made to one of the victim's sisters after the fact. So... The first question I want to ask is, what do we know about the victims? We know that they were four very street smart, very wise, and very strong individual women. These women were not new to this game. They were not new to the streets. They were not new to the, the tricks and the tra of the trade. They had systems and they worked them. They took their phones. They took uh, drivers. They made sure that they had outs. So what about this killer with these victims caused them to drop their guard and change their, their process, per se, on on what they done when they had a date, whether it be in-house, uh, whether they done out, outbound calls and met them somewhere else. Um, we know that all victims, of the, four, of the four victims that were found wrapped in burlap, and we're gonna go through their names and uh, kind of touch on the timeline just a little bit. Now, we know that Marine Brainerd Barnes went missing on July the 9th, 2007. She was last seen in her room at the Super 8 Hotel in Midtown Manhattan. Her last call that night was to her sister, Missy, during which she says she is at Penn Station. She goes missing July of 2007. 
what caused her to drop her guard and go with this person? No phone, no way to contact anyone, no out, no safety net. Now, we go almost two years to the day. So we go from July of 2007 to July the 12th of 2009. And we've got Melissa Bartholomew. Now she is last seen outside her apartment in the Bronx and vanishes. Tough, tough woman. What made her drop her guard? What made her become vulnerable to this man? So we look at a two year gap here, almost to the day. So we see that he's abducting these women in July and he's got a cool up period of about two years. Now, in the middle of these four victims, we have Shannon Gilbert that disappears. Now, while I'm not putting her with the four, she's very, 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 very important to this case because she disappears May the 1st, 2010. So one year goes by, Shannon Gilbert, and I'm not gonna go into detail with her story, but Shannon Gilbert is a, it's just like the other girls. She's a, a smart, um, working girl. She takes a driver with her, goes to a, a brewer's house. Well, anyway, she goes, she runs out of the house. Something goes crazy. She runs away from her driver and she runs and, and, and goes missing. So now we have a missing female nowhere to be found. Now I'm gonna go back to that and what makes that important. <clears throat> now we go one month later to June the 5th, 2010. Megan Waterman disappears from the Holiday Inn Express. She was last seen heading toward a nearby convenience store on foot. Dropped her guard, met this man without a phone, without any lifeline whatsoever. Why? Now, June 5th, we go July, August, September the 2nd, 2010, Amber Lynn Costello leaves her home in North Babylon to meet a client never to be seen again alive. This gentleman talks her into leaving her cell phone, her purse, no driver, no anything, meets her down the road from her house to where no one can see and pull through the house, no one can see what car she gets in, talks her into doing all this and leaves she's never seen again now we've got four missing women starting in 2007 2009 2010 2010 now during this time remember I mentioned Shannon Gilbert she had went missing so people are they know where she went missing she went missing on foot never to be seen again so they know where to look for her. So they are looking for Shannon Gilbert, actively looking for her in this marshy area to see if they can find her. But what, my first question that I wanna to pose to you is what did the killer do to get these four women to drop their guard, to abandon all practices that they've done in the past and to leave with him with no way to contact anybody or no lifeline.
Well, first, I think he made contact with him more than once. He built trust. Maybe this is not the first time they've met him. Maybe he set up dates in the past and everything was fine. Now, not only that, it's a large amount of money, $1,500, four or five times the normal rate that these girls would get. That's enticing. But more than that, he has a position of authority, of power, of trust. There's no doubt in my mind that this man is in a position or has a job that would cause the girls, <clears throat> excuse me, to let their guard down. He is a policeman, a, a, some sort of government official, um, judge, think something. He is in a position of importance. So those three things right there are going to cause them to, oh, why would a police chief or why would a fireman, fire chief, why would a banker, why would a judge kill me? I've already met him two times before, or I've talked to him three times. He's built that trust, and on top of that, he's in a position of power. His job is something that would cause these girls to trust him even more. Let's say he's a police chief. You're not going to think, well, a police chief is a killer. You're going to think, well, yeah, that makes sense. Hey, guys, don't bring your phone because I can't take any chances of you recording. You know, I could lose a lot. That would be the reason they wouldn't bring their phones or their lifelines to the outside world. So, what else? What else? Because I feel like this question is really important because this is something that is not in the norm it's not part of their normal process and it is what caused them to honestly fall prey to this monster by changing up now i'm not saying it wouldn't have happened but what i'm saying is it made it a lot easier for him when it come time so what makes him different so that's my three points that's what I think. I think, A, he had built trust with them. That's not the first time they've talked to him or met him. B, I think the amount of money causes people to instantly give trust. People associate rich with good. And third, He's in a position of power and trust. So, I think we look at something like that a little closer and we might can get through the victims and the victimology and in, in their actions right before they left can give us some insight into who the killer is. So my three points again, I believe they had spoken to the killer before or had met him before. He had built trust with them. The money, they associate money rich with good. And third and most important is this man, the Long Island serial killer, 
is in a position of power and authority and trust. Now, what other questions could we ask that might get us a little closer to who the Long Island serial killer is? Well, one thing I like to look at and just some of the things that kind of stand out to me is if you notice on the timeline, we have Maureen Brainerd Barnes going missing in 2007. And two years later, we have Melissa Bartholomew going missing July 10th or 12th, 2009. Okay. So, what happens, and we're going to go back to the timeline here, okay? Now, what happens is Shannon Gilbert goes missing, like I said, in, in May of 2010. Now, they're looking for her. Now, what happens is on December the 11th, 2010, police discover a full skeleton wrapped in burlap in the bramble beside Ocean Parkway near Gilgo Beach, three miles from Oak Beach. Who do they think that is? Well, they, they automatically think that that is Shannon Gilbert because that is who they're out there looking for. So if you're a local in that area, I don't know that it's made national news yet, but if you're a local in that area, then you probably know on May 1st, 2010, a girl went mysteriously missing in this area. So now you've got searchers out there looking. A high possibility of a lot of people being out there looking, nosing around. So is this Shannon Gilbert they find? No. This is where they stumble upon the poor victims that I just named you, the four burlap victims. This, these remains that were found were actually Melissa Bartholomew, the young woman that went missing in 2009. I'm going to double back to something here in just a minute. Now, two days later, they find three more sets of remains. Now, they're thinking, well, surely one of these is Shannon Gilbert. No, it's not. That is Megan Waterman, Marine Brainerd Barnes, and Amber Lynn Costello. These are the four, bur four victims that went missing in 07, 09, and two in 2010. But what I'm wanting to get at is two of these victims were taken before Shannon Gilbert went missing. The other two were taken after she went missing. So if you're the killer, you're in a place uh, of authority, of a position of trust and power, you're going to know what's going on in your area. Why would you take and use that as your dumping ground after Shannon Gilbert went missing in that area and you know tons of police and people are going to be searching that area? The first two, I can understand. It's desolate. There's nothing out there. But why would the killer take the last two victims that he killed after Shannon Gilbert went missing and dump them out in the area that he knows law enforcement and people are going to be looking? So why did he dump those victims there? And I'm not even going to speak of, say, and I'm, I'm not really talking about the first two per se. I'm talking about the last two. Let's say he dumps them one at a time. Why is he dumping two victims in an area that he knows people are going to be walking about, 
looking, searching, and trying to find Shannon Gilbert. Why run the risk of taking two more bodies down to a place crawling with people that are looking for Shannon? What does this tell you about the killer? I think we have to ask our questions about the, the dumping ground. What does this say about our killer? Why there? And why run the risk of them being found for sure or you being identified because there's more eyeballs on the area? Now, we've already come to the conclusion that Lisk is local. Lisk is a powerful, important man. So, what are some of the questions? Why do you think he still continued to use this as his dumping ground. Now, there comes a time when that thrill, maybe it's dying out for him. Maybe the killing isn't enough. Maybe once he sees Shannon Gilbert has went missing, and maybe he is responsible for Shannon Gilbert. But what I'm saying is maybe once he knows that people are going to be looking, it ups the ante for him. It makes the game a little more exciting for him, as sick and twisted as he is. Maybe he's like, let's just be right under their nose. Maybe he's searching by day, dumping by night, because he's right there next to you the whole time. Maybe this is an area that he controls. Maybe this is, is his comfort zone, because he controls this area. This is his jurisdiction. He's got nothing to worry about. This location's under his control. And what more funny then, ha ha, I'm out here searching and telling you what to do during the day, and at night I'm dumping more bodies right here underneath your nose. So he's either brazen, wants to look for a, more of a thrill, wanting to add to the, the thrill of what, what his sick mind wants, or he's trying to set himself up for an out. The thought had to go through his mind. What made him to continue to use that as his dumping ground when he knows that eyeballs are on the area and more than likely those bodies will be found? We have to assume by him continuing to use that area, he wanted the victims to be found. Now, did he want them to be found because of the thrill? I think you've got to look at that to a certain degree because most serial killers do it for that thrill and that satisfaction of their sick minds. But if no one knows, is that enough? Somebody need to know? Was he tired of flying under the radar? Did that make it more exciting to know, say, oh, look here, look what's in your backyard. Look what I've been doing under your nose for all these years. I believe we have to look at that. I believe that that's a point that it's it, it was thrilling. He wanted the bodies to be found. It was exhilarating for him. He couldn't contain himself. And I think that's one reason why the timeline sped up. I think once she went missing in that area and people were searching, he knew that the others were out there and some other things had been going on. It just made him even more excited. So he couldn't wait a year or two years in between kills. He had to do it 
freaking three months. His his cooldown period goes from two years to three months. And then the four burlap victims are found and phew, nothing. So let's ask ourselves, what about the dumping ground? I think it's the thrill. Wanted the victims to be found. Wanted to flex his muscles, his chest, because of the position of power that he's in. It gives him an, another thrill knowing that, hey, I'm such and such in this area. This is my area. Look at what I can do right under your nose. I think he continued to do it because that location's under his control and because it, th it thrilled him to do so. We'll be right back. All right, let's recap here and look at a few things. We're just trying to dig in just to a couple of points, ask a couple of questions. We covered the victims and, and three points of why we think they changed their process in protecting themselves with Lisk, with the killer. We looked at the dumping ground and asked those questions of why did the killer continue to use that ground even though he knew eyeballs were on it. So, once the location was compromised, was it just the thrill? That extra thrill that, that caused him to get off on, on putting these bodies right under, right under their nose? because he has a trusting, high-level, powerful job, because the dump site's under his supervision or control. There's two more possibilities. One, when he seen that Shannon Gilbert had went missing, he seen an opportunity to put some of this on Joseph Brewer, Daniel Pack, the gentleman, deflect maybe the four bodies weren't even there maybe they were somewhere else wrapped in burlap and buried and maybe one by one or, or all four over that period of time before they found them he took them all up there had the two already killed and buried Shannon Gilbert goes missing he gets excited. He, he, he speeds up his cool down period. He can't wait no more. He's dying to, to get another victim he gets one. Three months later, gets another one. Maybe three and four end up there first. Then he takes two, one, two, one and two that were killed earlier and puts them right up there in Ocean Boulevard, Gilgo Beach. For he knows that when they're looking for Shannon Gilbert, they're going to stumble on this. And guess what they're going to do? They're going to put these four with Shannon Gilbert. And they're going to blame, blame whomever killed Shannon Gilbert for killing these four. Maybe that's his out. Maybe that's his way to put it off on somebody else, get his name clear. He can move on, retire, go do something else. Can he quit killing? I don't know. Maybe those bodies weren't buried up there until after Shannon Gilbert went missing. He kills that third, takes her up there. He kills that fourth, takes her up there. 
and then goes to the original burial spot for one and two and takes them up there, knowing that they're going to find them and hopes that they'll just put it all together and can put the blame on somebody else. Maybe the heat's on him a little bit. Maybe he's starting to get squirmy. Feels like he might get caught. Maybe some things have happened. Maybe someone's found videos or broke into his squad car and found found things that they shouldn't have found. Maybe somebody's talking and it's just a matter of time before they find bodies on his property. He's got to deflect. That's one thought. That the bodies were not originally there. That it became the dumping ground after, I'm talking about the burlap four, after Shannon Gilbert went missing to throw police off and to have them look at whomever's closest to the Shannon Gilbert case. Now, who would think like that? Somebody in a position of authority, police chief, judge, yeah. Very cunning. Smooth. Monster. That's just another question we can ask. Because we only can take what we have, what we know. And what we know is what we're talking about. The victims, how, what they done, how they acted, what they changed, the location, the dumping ground. <clears throat> it's just another option. It's a possibility. Maybe he's doing it as a countermeasure and the bodies were never there to begin with. It could answer for the, the, the timeline being sped up or his desires just became too strong. There's a couple of other things that had went on and I feel like that this next question and it's going to be my final question. I think this question really if we can figure out the reason why, I feel like we can answer the question of maybe who who Lisk is, the Long Island serial killer. Now, the second victim, Melissa Bartholomew, missing in 2009 out of all four she receives seven phone calls from a man claiming to be her sister's killer she calls he calls the sister from the victim's phone she sees the number Oh, my sister, this is before and after they found the bodies. Because in the beginning, the phone call, she thought it might be her sister. But this man in seven phone calls begins to tell the poor young sister what he had done to her. But he never stayed on the phone long enough to be traced. Police chief. He never was in an area that cameras could catch him, 
They could pinpoint. They couldn't pinpoint, but they could get close. And one time he was in Times Square, Manhattan. People everywhere, countermeasures. Why did he call her? Why? Was it because that was the only phone that was brought? And out of the four, she's the only one that brought a phone? And by her disobeying, being disobedient, he'll punish her by lashing out at her sister? Or did he know her before? What about Melissa Bartholomew and that family set her apart? Why did he call her? Why did he call her? Now, through all of this, they didn't find Shannon Gilbert's body until the next year. Because on December the 13th, 2011, Shannon Gilbert's remains are found on the far side of Oak Beach Marsh, a quarter mile from her belongings. This young girl goes missing. These four bodies are found because of it. Who killed these four girls? So those are the three things I want you to think about, the three connections. I want you to, the, the, I want you to think about the four victims and their actions before going missing. Why did they change up so much that they normally done to protect themselves? What would cause them to do that? I gave you my three points. The time and the timeline. I want you to think about that. The timeline goes from 2007, 2009, 2010, 2010. It, it goes from two years to one year to three months. Why? What sped up the timeline? I want you to think about that dumping location, the dumping grounds. Let's say it's the original dumping grounds and victim one, victim two are placed out there, but why would he continue to use that as his dumping ground when that area is compromised because of Shannon Gilbert's disappearance and people searching for her in that area. Why continue when the location is compromised? Why? So we know that the killer has a trusting high-level job. I'd like to speculate that the dump site is under his supervision or control. And we have to think that he wanted the four bodies to be found. For what reason? Maybe it's just to show just how cunning he is. Or maybe just the killing itself isn't enough to get him off. Maybe he needs more. Or maybe it's another countermeasure to put whoever the suspicion, whoever the, the suspects were in Shannon Gilbert's murder would automatically put these four bodies on them as a suspect. Ask yourself. I think these questions 
and you dive in, think of some more. But I think these questions can tell us who or what the killer, who Lisk is. And I think we should pay a little bit closer attention to those seven phone calls he made to Melissa Bartholomew's sister. What, what set them apart? What caused him to want to make these phone calls? What could it be? We need to bring this sorry son of a bitch to justice. Where's he at? What happened in 2010 when it all started to unravel and things started to be found? Where did he go? What did he do? Did he continue killing? Was he able to ride off into the sunset a free man? He's out there. By God, he's out there. I want to know who he is. He needs to be punished for the pain and suffering he's caused. Thanks, guys. Think about this this week. We'll come back next week with a new episode. We'll ask some more questions. See if we can find out some answers. Let me know what you think. This is The Weekly Podcast. <laughs>